Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James, and each week I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with Danny Seals, who you might know from the Mind Chimp podcast series, but who's also a leading figure in experience design an emerging discipline in learning and development. In this episode, we meet face-to-face. Danny lives in Manchester. I live just outside London, but we're together in Ghent for a conference that we're both speaking at. We're not in the studio, and so there is a little bit of background noise. There is a little bit of pneumatic drill. I think that there's a crying baby at some point and a road cleaner, but please bear with us. They don't last for long, and I'm sure they don't track too much from the conversation. Anyway, that's enough from me. Let's get into it. Danny, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. It's, it's good to be here, David. It's good to be here. Uh, now, Danny, your LinkedIn profile describes you as an architect of experiences, human-centered design, employee experience, and experience design. Now, I've been in L&D for 20 years, but the last four or five years have seemed unprecedented in the amount of new terminology and emerging practice. What's this all about? Great question. I don't think anybody really knows. No. <laughs> so, so when I kind of look at my, my journey and where I've come from, one of the biggest things what I've always kind of pulled on is actually putting a human center of whatever I do, whatever I design, whatever I shape. That's a human centered design thing. And this experience is, is kind of in a very quick nutshell. It's for me is the, you know, we are, we are built upon experiences from mm-hmm. the day we was born to this and them experiences have shaped us. So kind of being able to bring them to life in a way. So I don't create content, mm. I create experiences. And what you get from that experience is unique to you. So that's that's that. Okay, so um, in relation, so I completely get that. And um, nothing you've said jars. And I think that that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. But in the context of learning and development, what can we hope to achieve then with learning experiences? So I think the thing what we can achieve from learning experiences, so I don't think learning experience is a thing. Mm. I think experience is a thing yeah. and the learning is a byproduct of that experience. Okay. Um, so I think the things what we can, you know, we, we, if you put it into kind of a corporate context, we, we get people in, maybe we'll use onboarding for example, we get people in and we just throw a, a load of stuff at them mm. and kind of go, hmm, you'll get this, you'll get all this knowledge and and that's it. And realistically, we never really address the problem of, they just want to know what to wear on day one. They want to know, you know, it's them little big things what really matter to them. Hmm. No one really cares about the 800 slide deck what you're going to throw them in front of. Yeah. So actually, you know, there's a couple of periods within like an employee life cycle. What really demand experiences, I think onboarding, I think leadership is one, because the chances are, on your onboarding, I mean, maybe maybe when you was at past companies, mm. you can't really remember what you did on boarding. You probably can just remember it was a good experience. Mm. And it goes back to, and we'll probably touch upon this, this kind of peak and end theory. Yeah. So I think, I personally think experiences are the thing what's going to be the biggest driving behavior change. Mm. I think, and actually there's no think about it. When you think about us, we learn from our, we learn from our experiences, whether it was a positive and a negative one. Mm. And that's what shapes, that's what opens up a door for you to deploy whatever you want to put in that, in that gap. But you need this experience to kind of open that door to allow change in. Mm. So I think that's why. 
So you mentioned there about uh, onboarding that I've experienced, but um, it comes as no surprise to you that my onboarding experiences have generally been uh, pitiful at best um, and very common. So sitting in a room with a load of strangers who've also started on the same day, whilst a couple of people have been at the organization for quite some time, show me how to log onto the intranet, um, start talking about the organization's strategic objectives, um, will start will tell me how to process travel expenses and all and all of this stuff and I'm you know we're, we're all looking wide-eyed super mm. keen and um, overwhelmed whilst these people tell us stuff that may or may not be important uh, we largely found out it wasn't important certainly wasn't urgent for us to understand but we are kind of whipped up into this this frenzy overwhelmed with uh, with too much detail and sent on our way to complete compliance training yeah that's not the kind of experiences that you're talking about creating, no. is it? No, 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 it's definitely not. That's that's kind of really an old school approach to onboarding. And 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 actually there's when you look at if you used to if I was to create an experience of onboarding, there's there's five kind of key areas what you'd go through. Hmm. The first kind of stage is like this exit at this entry and well, it's excite and entice. Right. And so if you go from say you're onboarding, there's from a minute you sign that dotted line to say I'm gonna join this company to day one, there's a big gap there what yeah. is really untapped potential. Like, these people are eager to join your company, mm. you know, while you might not necessarily get that someone who's been in the company for five years, there's a period there where they are more than happy to to get involved before they even join on day yeah. one. So when it comes to experiences, there's lots of gaps within an onboarding period. And the first biggest gaping hole in that onboarding is that sign the dotted line to day one, that big gap in between. Mm. And McDonald's was doing this years ago. Um, so McDonald's did it on the fact of when you signed on, you got a DVD delivered to your house before yeah. you even joined. And that DVD was a lot of your training, kind of watch this, this little video here. or And they give you a, um, a laptop before you even join on day one. Yeah. So you could bring yourself up to speed in that, in that period of that gap. So, yeah, so you go through this and while we're excited and enticed to kind of entry. What does the entry of that experience look like? And then once we're in that experience, how do we constantly keep them engaged? Mm. And then actually, you know, what starts must finish. So your onboarding will come to a natural end, but actually just the ending should be as important as the start, mm. of, especially of that onboarding period anyway. And then extend, just because the, the, the experience has stopped, you can still extend that experience, just but, you know, kind of moving into the next phase of your journey within that business. Mm. So yeah, experiences are vital. Um, you know, Red Bull, Red Bull is a great example of someone who does this, where grads and apprentice, they bring in on helicopters. Yeah. Like, and, and obviously it matches their brand, Red Bull's brand. It's like kind of, it gives you wings, it's kind of cool, it's out there, it's really kind of, it's got its demographic nailed to a point. But yeah, like their day one experience is, isn't your standard kind of experience. And so what you're describing to me is that, that we... We have experiences, whether they are consciously created or not. And those gaps that you talk about, that organizations, from, from the moment you accept the offer and, or, or perhaps sign the, the, the contract, to when you start, there's often a gap. And that's open to, it's in the lap of the gods as to, to what happens then, whether, whether your experience is enhanced, whether a manager might call you in the mean, you know, to say, we're looking forward to, to you joining, but largely, that's an experience that is either left to you to craft 
or it's just not there at all. We, I, I talk with clients a lot of the time and say that you, although you shouldn't train people in that gap, there is an opportunity that to help them. Mm. That help might come in the form of providing them with the uh, information to answer the questions from the friends and family who are excited for you for this new job. You might say, Danny, tell us about this new job. And you're there going, oh, I, I don't, don't really know, know too yeah. much about it. So where is it? Oh, I, I have my interview in a couple of places. I think I'll be based here. Okay, so what kind of work will you be doing? Well, I don't know, but mm. you know, you know so, so all that stuff is left out there. And in the absence of, of, of organizations taking ownership of that, it's, this, as you say, it's a really massively missed opportunity. Yeah, and, and, and actually, you know, kind of just building on that, I think I, I kind of wrap it down to these little big things, what mm. matters. So what the org thinks matters and what the user's experience of that organization is two different things a lot of the time. Mm. The org goes, we, you need to know this, 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 and this. And basically, the person coming in wants to know what day do I get paid, where's my parking spot, who am I meeting on day one? And it's them little big things, but... A great plug, just even you know, even without knowing about this, what the business is, is create that create a community in that period. Mm. You don't have to wait till day one to meet everybody. You can put them in this this community where they can all share their fears and build upon. Oh, I've heard this. I've seen this. I've asked this question already. That becomes like a real simple community where mm. it's that real time support, even before day one. So all this team building stuff, what you do, you can probably skip that if mm. you build that community right at the start because. By the time day one comes around, the law kind of know each other a lot better anyway, yeah. naturally. And, you know, you, I suppose you, you've got the opportunity to engender experiences that, that matter. You know, by bringing people together for a coffee on the first day, having a chat, sharing stories, but making it more about the connections than any content goes a long way to, to create a positive experience where people feel supported and cared for. Yeah, so so this kind of comes down to this kind of what is experience mm. design, and and for me, I think experience design goes across. There's like a spectrum of what experience design is. You've got your experiences of from like something like in a, what we've kind of touched upon, mm. like the employee lifecycle, and then you've got this other end of the spectrum, which is like this deep immersive kind of, um, yeah, like immersive, it like punch drunk. They do immersive theatre, like, okay, and it's, so immersive theatre is basically. Standard theatre where you're sat down and kind of watching, mm. you know, the, the show, so to speak. Immersive theatre is they give you a mask. Right. And you become an active part of that show. Okay. You don't interact with the actors as such, but you wear a mask and you turn to this, this foyer. Mm. And you intervene in the show. There's no seats. Yeah. Like, the show's happening. You can lean on the side what they're acting on and you can engage with the props and you can, it becomes this immersive thing, not this stepping outside and, and watching from afar. Hmm. So do you, do you know what that reminds me of? At, uh, at Disney, there, I mean, there was a lot of great stuff going on at Disney, as you can, uh, as you can imagine. But for new managers, we had this um, event called Disney Way, the Disney Way. New managers went to the park, so the Paris park, and they uh, spent a day being immersed in, in what goes on. You go see the Imagineers and the like. And then you are told that you, because of your height, because there are height restrictions, because of costumes, you're told that you are going to be a character. So you then go through the training to be that character, to then put on the outfits yeah. and go into the parks. Now, the experience was created so those new managers felt what it was like for the kids and the families. And that, that for them, 
deepen their association with the brand and what, what it was truly all about so that they could go back to their teams and they would live that. I mean, they, you'd, yeah. you'd learn, during that training, you'd learn about the mannerisms of that character. You even had to practice the signature because kids came over with autograph books on, you know, so you are that character for them. Yeah. So that, that as an experience was incredibly powerful. Yeah, and, 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 and Disney is, is kind of one of these people who have a snail. Experiences aren't, is not new. Mm. It's not new. It's not new at all. Um, I think some people do it without knowing it was called experience design. And I, I was one of them. Yeah. For, for the first part of my career, I was designing these experiences and I didn't know it was called experience design. I just knew it, it worked. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, that kind of embedding yourself into this brand and, and what it is and who that character is and the, the point which you brought out was, why it truly matters yeah. and, and what it matters to that, to that child who's running up to Mickey Mouse and hugging him and, and whatever else. And it's that kind of, that is an experience. Mm. The experience for the child is different to the experience of you putting the suit and immersing yourself into that character. So there's two different experiences happening there, yeah. but fundamentally they both come together when that kid runs up to you and hugs you like, because you're Mickey Mouse, right? Yeah, that's right. So, and, and you, so, so we've touched on this already. This is about trying to achieve something. The, the example that I just gave there is about new managers taking something back with them that is going to last longer than any words on a PowerPoint slide ever would or, or an activity in a, um, in a safe, sterile environment, in a classroom mm. environment, for example. What else can we hope to achieve then with experiences in learning and development and in our, in our context? So I think... So it's probably easier if I define what, what my definition is of experience yeah. design. And this is something that's new and it's a working practice because you can go on experience design, you get four to seven different definitions of it. Mm. And my definition is, and I wrote it down here because it's still something what I'm getting used to, but fundamentally it is, it's the interactions between the actors, the people who's involved in, you know, the actors being the people mm. and the, the touch points of their journey. And that's really important. It has to be a their journey, not mm. of... The business's journey, that's different. Okay. And then kind of designing that experience in three different contexts. You've got your ma macro picture mm -hmm. and what does the general feel look like? And you've got this micro when it's kind of like micro would be the cycle and the different things. And then below that, your onboarding would be this really nano detail. And actually, what does each tiny touch point look like? And it's this very layered approach to it. Mm. And it's all about kind of that the interactions in the physical space and what they're doing and the movement and kind of the, the, the emotive response you want. Mm. That's, what, that's what my definition of it is. Okay, let me play devil's advocate. Okay. Is experience design another phrase to describe immersive face-to-face -face development events? And it's just a rebrand so that people like you could get a name and new people, new entrants to the market can um, forge a company or create a company for, for greater profits. Is this just, is this more spin and, but in, in truth, it's money for old rope? So no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's, it's really interesting that you mentioned that and kind of we talk about this face to face. And actually a couple of months ago, I heard someone call experienced designers innovative classroom. Right. I was like, you're, you fundamentally do not understand it. Mm. And, and that's fine if you don't get it because it, it can be confusing. But face-to-face -face is not is not experience design because, don't get me wrong, experiences can happen in that classroom. Yeah. It can happen. But as soon as you say classroom, it becomes this, this is the parameter which you've got to work in. Mm. So it's, a, it's kind of like 
you know, going back to that kind of spectrum what I had and you've got one thing over here, which is the interactive and kind of the experience of, say, something like an onboarding. You've got this immersive one over here. But it, it it's kind of about enabling people to practice things in real life. So if, for example, it was leadership, mm. how well can you practice leadership in a classroom? Like... Probably not. I can probably give you a framework and go, this is how you give feedback and this is this, is this and this is that. But that's not experience design. Mm. You know, the, the experience should be go and give feedback, give you that real life example, give you that real life experience. That's experience design. And then come back and then there's a reflective piece on the back of end. How did you feel? How was your heart rate? Mm. Did your hands get clammy? Did it get sweaty? You know, you've got to go into that presentation and present that thing. And you can mimic them. So... You can mimic. So if I was to say create something around, I don't know, um, negotiation, I wouldn't put someone in a classroom and go, this is the framework on how to negotiate. I, and, and people have been doing this for years. Devin mm. Brown is a great example of experience design. And that's on a, on, on a mass scale, don't get me wrong. But like he gives them experiences, which isn't necessarily direct to negotiation, but it drives that emotive response of clammy hands and yeah. it, it mimics everything what you'll do. What we see in classroom is I'll go in classroom and I'll give you this thing, this framework on how to do how to negotiate. And you probably won't get an opportunity to do that for six to 12 months. Mm. And by that time, it's forgotten about anyway. But if I can give you an experience and then you can recall that in 12 months time, you can probably say, okay, I remember that. Yeah, I remember I, I, my heart was beating out my chest, my hands were sweaty. And it's kind of that, that emotive response. We know our memories are crap. Yeah. the crap but our emotions of what we can attach to that are different mm. we can probably remember if something got us excited or if it was if we were scared or, or whatnot so like a great example of this was when i was coming into leadership at o2 um i wanted to be a manager and she could have easily gone okay you know here's here's what a coaching session looks like but actually what she did is she went you're going to do my my role for a day mm. and I did everything of her role. Don't get me wrong, she was over there in the corner, kind of, if I needed her. But I did one-to-ones. I did coaching. I went to the kind of, the touch, the meetings, like nine o'clock, 12 o'clock, and at three o'clock. And I was immersed into that management experience. Yeah. And I walked out of it and I was like, given that, that, that's what I want. That's what I want. But if I was to put you in a classroom and say, this is what leadership looks like, it would be completely different. It's not real. Yeah. And, and- to build on what you just said there, the, the reason is because leadership doesn't happen in classrooms. You know, the, the part of the problem that we, we face when we think about learning and development in the confines of, uh, of a facility, whether that be a classroom or within the LMS, is that it's largely a, a sanitized and sterile environment that's good for some stuff. And if it's about um, uh, educational experiences where, where you need to learn a thing to help you do a thing to pass a test or you know you know they they can be they can be helpful <laughs> people like Nick Shackleton Jones might challenge that um uh but what you're describing is something that is designed to elicit emotions i'll give you an example of uh, of something that particularly worked well at uh, at disney for me when i first joined i told you about the first experience on day 1 being shown the intranet and health and safety and all the hygiene stuff but a few days later, I was invented, invited to an event called Welcome to Disney. And that was a presentation by 12 different parts of the business. And it was designed to make you excited as well as enlighten you a little about what, 
what the organization was up to and what specifically the UK headquarters was up to. Now, so much was delivered that you couldn't possibly remember but it wasn't designed for that. It was about recognizing that you were already excited. This was gonna whip you into a frenzy of excitement and take with you some, some useful information that you can share with friends, family, and colleagues about what's coming up. The experience was incredible, and I remember it to this day. There's, yeah. There are specific parts of the presentations that, that God, that was 2006, that, that 13 years ago, I have no right to remember, but I do because emotionally I was hyped. And, and this is it, and I think this is a big question. I reckon we could do a podcast just on this question alone. <laughs> but you, you get bombarded constantly by experiences, mm. and your brain's very, really quickly going, this is important, this is not important, this mm. is important, this is not important. And usually the interaction of you opening and closing a door is an experience. You don't remember every single door you've opened and closed because it's, your brain goes, this isn't important. But you know, there's a reason why you remember your favorite teacher's name, or you, there's a reason why you remember that experience, or if you ever got bullied, they've given you a negative experience, but you remember it because it has this emotion, this impact. And I think the, the issue when it comes down to this face-to-face thing is two things, really. It's this bubble effect of our industry, mm-hmm. and then it's this kind of dilution of language, and in the context it's used. Okay. So, like, going back to it again, experience design is not new. Mm-hmm. My teacher, when I was in, in primary school, I remember we, he was teaching geography and we was just not interested. We mm. was not interested. It was, we was talking about trees and, and I personally wasn't interested in geography. And then if you want to put it in this context of, is it classroom? The nearest thing what, what experience design is, if I had to put it in that old language would be, it's a field trip. Oh, okay. So, and, and he kind of did, the geography teacher did exactly that. He took us out into the woods and he let us be curious in the woods. Didn't have any things what he wanted to do, talk about, and he waited for the, the kids, me, to go to him with the mm. questions, what he, they seeked out. And that's how I remember about trees and the rings on trees yeah. and working out how old it is. So if we want to put it in this old language of, is it classroom? No, if we want to do it like that, it's a field trip. It's yeah. your personal, specific field trip. And it's exactly what, what I described with the, uh, the Disney way. It's a field trip. You, you yeah. go people out, you immerse them in something, uh, and create an experience that that helps you to get the results. I want to I want to spend some time on on the results thing because, as you say, we all have experiences, and a lot of the time our experiences are in the lap of the gods because no one's consciously taking ownership of that and saying, "Well, we're going to create this experience for this outcome." Can you give me some examples of experiences that you've created that that the listener here in learning and development can recognise? And then talk about the experience that you created for a result and, and some, something related. Yeah, 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 sure. So I think to talk about how we design, so the experiences, how I design them is going back to that thing of this, this onion, mm-hmm. this, this many layers of detail. So, you know, it depends on what, on, if you look on that spectrum, where it is on this, exp, what experience does this need? Like, does it need this really immersive one where, you have to shape the smells, the, the sounds, and all these various other little tiny bits of nuance of detail, what mm. makes that experience, or is it an onboarding experience, like, and where you sit on that scale. So I guess there's something called peak end theory, mm-hmm. okay? And, and it was Daniel Kahneman, I think his name is, yeah. And he did studies on, on patients, and basically, he said, looking at this whole experience of, of, of these people who's going through surgery, 
what is it they remember? And he found they remembered a very high peak of the pain and the end result. Mm. That's, that's it. They don't remember the dotted experiences throughout that period. They just remember this really high pain peak and the end. So you see that a lot in customer experience now. When they design, they go, you could have a really crap ex customer experience, but if I give you a happy ending at the end of, here's some Mickey Mouse ears and here's a great picture of you and family, you'll remember that end result more mm. than you remember the fact that you probably got food poisoning or whatever. Yeah. So, so that's kind of how I, when I shape, I kind of put them goggles on and go, where's the peaks? Where, where can I create high peaks of interest? And because mm. you need dips, you know, to have peaks, right? You need things which is average or, or below. So I guess going back to it, that, I think that just adds a bit of context on, on why. Um, when it comes to kind of some of the stuff, stuff I've done, there was one where at Tesco Mobile or two, they had a real issue with DPA breach, mm -hmm. so security. So um, for, for your listeners, call center environment, and yeah, like people were getting through and passing, well, getting through the security checks with the advisors. Mm. It's like, why is this? It? They have a process. They have a process. They should know this. They should know this. I was like, they don't care. They don't care. No one's, no one's breaching their personal details. They do not care fundamentally. And that's, that, that's where it was. So I was tasked with how do I bring this to life? And actually what I did is I did this, this experience where they had to do social engineering on people within the call center. Mm. So it was rather me going, hey, go through that DPA process again. You know, it was signpost. In my experience, it signposted them to that. But I had to give them an experience first what mattered. So I give, say, you and Bob a name. And maybe the name was, well, let's pretend it was Nick. I give you Nick. And you'll go away and you'll find out all the information you can find on Nick without asking him. Mm. So you'll go on his social media. You'll go on his kind of, you know, his Twitter, his LinkedIn, his whatever, whatever, whatever. And what you do is you build this picture of, of Nick without speaking to Nick. And then you'll present back and you go, my person has a daughter called this. If you go to this school, if you do this, if you get this bus route, and all of a sudden, Nick's like, shit, that's, that's quite personal information there. Only at that point, when Nick has that aha moment, you go, that's why security is important. Mm. That's why there's a DPA in place. Here's how you find your DPA. Here's a quick checklist on, on what to remember. But if I was to just give you that, you won't care. Yeah. I have to give you that, that kind of emotive kind of very, very uh, visual kind of response first. I need to give you that before you care. And so there's one. Um, there's a couple really. I mean, there's some key ones which really jump out to me. Um, the, the security one was, was, was really interesting because the measure, measuring it was simple. You've got a bit high, high thing of people passing, failing DPA. Mm -hmm. And then after that, that experience, that changed very, very quickly. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there, some experiences are hard to measure. I'll be honest with you, they're hard to measure. That was very easy because I was fixing a business problem. Yeah. And, and a customer problem as well. So that was an easy one. But it's a bit, sometimes measuring experience is hard because it's a bit like saying, what's, how do you measure the experience of your, of your mum and dad? Mm. Like, they've given you lots and lots of experience over life and they've helped shape it, but you can't measure that. You just know that you love your mum and dad mm. and they've helped you be you are today. You can't necessarily measure it as such. You can measure your success, mm. but they're only one part of that success. Like you've had very other kind of other touch points of experiences, which has helped you be you. Yeah. So it's hard to measure that. So it's kind of a, of knowing when, when an experience is, uh, is vital and, and needed, 
versus when is just a job aid needed. But you've you've hit a sweet spot of, uh, of stuff that I like to talk about and continue a conversation around efficacy, around um, how do we know stuff that works. And if it solves a real problem and it's been defined as a problem, you say about a DPA breach, I always go back to if we even if we're looking at learning and development initiatives such as induction and new manager training, there is a reason that we do that. And sometimes we can't get to the problem that we're trying to solve until we say, what if you didn't do it? Mm. What if you did nothing? So with your induction, what if we took it away completely? What would be the impact? When we, when we then talk about the impact, we talk about the real reasons we do it. We don't do it because it's a nice to have. We don't do it for, to give people a standardized, or we shouldn't do it to give people a standardized um, onboarding experience. It should be for real reasons. There are real reasons that, that we get involved. And new managers is a key one. The fact that we neglect new managers for weeks, months, or even years after they, they join the job or become a manager is almost criminal. We, we do, there is a real reason. We've got the, the most inexperienced layer, new managers, looking after the largest population, core contributors. Yeah. There is there's real risk, and then you flip it around. There's a huge opportunity for us if we can provide the experiences that you're describing and the resources when they faced unfamiliar situations and challenges for the very first time. Yeah, so another one just come to mind, a very quick one, but I want to talk about this new managers one as well. So mm. the new manager one's really interesting and because there's an, there's an argument to say actually how many of your new managers actually even want to be managers anyway. Mm. As, as a business made a massive assumption and said, you're really great at your job, so that means you're going to be a great manager. And actually, these people who have applied to be managers and are managers, have you given them an experience so that they go, actually, this isn't what I thought it was and I don't want to be it? Like you see that a lot, you know, internally at a company where I used to work, we had this where managers would join the management program, so to speak, new management program, and then a couple of days in they're like, this wasn't what I signed up for. Mm -hmm. So actually, you know, an experience would be really interesting to go, this is what a management would look like. This is like, your day-to-day, you're going to have to go in that room and tell that person that potentially they're getting made redundant. Like, give them that experience so mm. then they can make an educated choice whether they want to be managers. Yeah. And then that's about how you get that filter. That's how you know the people who are going into management are going into it because they care. They've got their eyes wide open to what management and leadership is. And, and it matters to them. Mm. That's where you can kind of filter out the people who are going in it because, well... They want to pay rise like like that's it yeah but it kind of got me thinking about when you talked about like onboarding as well and one i had i had an op when i very first got into ld i had an awesome mentor called sakib mm. um and he was doing experience time way before everyone else was doing it so this is another thing what we designed together mm. and yeah he, he was he was vital in my start of my career definitely but basically the, the call center had this issue of the people who was getting on didn't care about how they presented themselves so to speak in, mm. in the working environment and they kind of came to me in a second and said can we can you come up with a way of, of fixing this so the way we would do it is we'd turn around to them and say on day one the way their the experience would look like is they come into day one they'd sign reception and then we'd set them in a waiting room mm. so what me and Saki would do is we'd pretend we was part of that experience right so we pretended we was new and that we've gone through that experience that, that you know the assumption was we've been doing what they've done and we'd have fake kind of welcome, you know, the temporary passes and all that. So visually, it all matched up mm. um, to, to their experience. And then once we got a few more people in the waiting room, we'd create these stories of how 
I hope he don't do like security checks on us because I've worked here before and I got sacked and I got you know we even went as far as to say we got watched we, we got sacked for watching adult material in our break and mm. just really daft over exaggerated but things what you would get sacked for yeah and then what would that would create this environment where the new people would join and say oh yeah I, I know what you mean I've been sacked before or whatever mm. else and then they start like talking as you would with friends and you know they'd be swearing in there and because they get quite comfortable with us mm. thinking we're one of them and then at like two minutes past nine we'd jump up and say hey we're your trainers you know you've got us for the next however foreseeable future and you could see it in their face where they're like oh my god i've just mm. told them everything and it was a quick experience to say the environment where you work in your managers don't wear ties they don't mm. wear shirts you don't stand out from anyone else you could be having a conversation and your head of operations could be sat behind you mm. and you wouldn't know. So it's about getting that experience so then I never have to address it again. Yeah. And it's really interesting. You go into that call center now and say, what do you remember about your onboarding experience? And there'll be, there'll be lots of touch points because we layered experiences throughout. Mm. But the first thing is I remember us will go, undercover boss. Yeah. That moment we jump up and they go out, oh, I just told him a load of information. Mm. So yeah, it's like, it doesn't have to experiences don't have to be grand and we don't i mean there's value in grand but it's also valuable in this two-minute experience what we created to kind of say be aware of your surroundings it can be grand or it can be real and you just created yeah. it was, it, a real experience now danny what are the pitfalls in experience design because somebody's going to be listening to this and thinking well i do a bit of that and i'd, I'd like to do a little bit more what do people need to be wary of as they do? So I think the, the pitfalls is, is the industry, one. People are saying they do experience design when they don't. Right. You know, you see this right now. People are calling design thinking. Basically, all we're doing is an ideation session. It's not design mm. thinking. So understand what it is you're doing and what you want to do is quite important. And understand that experience design isn't classroom design. Mm. You know, it, they're, they're two separate things. Um, I think understanding kind of the scale of how experience design can work and these, you know, these different touch points and these different layers of detail, what you can put on that. Um, and actually kind of cut, you can cut experience design into everything, but just be open to doing it. Like you, you can't really, I'll give you an example of a bad experience design. Mm. Click next to e right. That's bad design. Mm. You'll remember e-learning because it was bad, not because of what it was meant to be showing you or teaching you yeah so you know try and try and think of it from your point of view and think actually what is it i really need from this yeah. and what's going to move me from here to where i want to get to and then go okay what experiences have done that i think um like we've already said understanding that this you know experience design is big or really small and they're both as powerful as each other and actually, kind of the way I look at it is when I look at, say, I'm shaping out an, a leadership program or an onboarding or negotiation or whatever, there's always going to be, I kind of see it like a bit like an ECG machine. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got your standard blips. So I kind of go, okay, what standard blips can I turn into real big, like high peaks yeah. and moments of what's going to nudge you forward a lot quicker than what would someone else would do? Um, a pitfall is language, and it's also the fact of, stakeholders like you've got to be careful with this because if you if you don't have a story of it and you you don't use that to kind of tell the stakeholders why it's important mm -hmm. they might just turn around and go just give them a new learning yeah 
So there's, there's, you, need, you, you need to be comfortable with what experience design is in order to, and I say sell it, but you shouldn't have to sell it, but in order to bring that business along with you. And that was going to be my next question, that um, we, in learning and development, we have stakeholders who are very comfortable with asking for courses and asking for e-learning. And many of, of our peers won't feel comfortable or perhaps don't think that they've got the currency then to challenge back and say, no, no, what you need here is an experience. So in your experience, how do you sell this to stakeholders with, with a more traditional expectation of learning and development? So there's a couple of ways. And, and, and if I'm being honest with you, the, mo- the, the best experience design companies I've seen are usually the most open-minded. Mm. They're the people who are like, let's give it a try. Like what is fundamentally the worst? In a world where we, we create stuff and we see lots and lots of waste in organizations, like we create this thing and we never put the human front and center. Mm. And if you don't put them front and center at the start, they won't care at the end of your solution. Yeah. And it's about kind of that thing. So when I go into stakeholders meetings and I remember in the past I've done this, I've kind of given them an experience in that moment. I can sell it, I can talk to you about it, but if I can give you an experience and demonstrate the power of it, that's going to be easier. Mm. Like I could turn around to you now and go, smell this. And it might be, it might be a bag with Play-Doh in or, or, or Wintergreen. And, and we talked just there, we talked about how music was important to you. Mm. And I could play you your favorite song and say, right, where does that take you? And you can go right back to your childhood with just one song. Yeah. And it's about giving them an experience so you don't have to, you don't, you shouldn't have to do too much talking if you give them an experience, if you give your stakeholders an experience. So it's kind of, you know, give an experience, if not, it's storytelling. Mm. And actually kind of just highlighting the fact they remember people's names, the teachers' names and stuff. So that's probably my way. It's, it's a challenge, I'll be honest. It is a challenge. Mm. And sometimes you have to kind of run it side by side of another solution. Yeah. So, you, can, you know, I don't do e-learning. I've, I've, I, don't, I haven't done e-learning for donkeys. Yeah. But sometimes if a business are demanding any e-learning, it's kind of that thing of you being a little bit rebellious and going, while I'm doing that, I'm going to try this. Yeah. And then presenting both results and going, yeah, you've got this many people who don't care about fire safety and you've got this many people of what I've put through in a, a, mini, a mini pilot, so to speak, or whatever, mm. and I've given them an experience and they can recall a lot more than what this, this group who did the e-learning can. So it's about leading so others follow. It's not about being a renegade and deciding from here on in, you're not going to run courses, you're not going to do e-learning, you're just going to do experiences because that will have you cast aside. Yeah. People will think that you're not listening uh, and you have been on a course yourself and now you're, you've come back a different person. Yeah. It's about recognizing where you can, you can experiment, where you can then gain traction with stakeholders, try something and then sell it on the fact that it worked, that it did actually get you the results that you were looking for. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And it's kind of this thing of not every single thing I do is, is experience. Mm. Like that'd be crazy to do that because- yeah. Be a one trick pony. Yeah, that'd be it. So a lot of times it, it's, a, it's, again, it's another tool to fix a real problem. Yeah. So somebody's listening to this and they want to get started now i'm asking you to, to pretty much summarize everything you've just been talking about for 40 minutes down into one or two points but how would you what advice would you give to somebody who wants to get started but but doesn't know how um so look at peak end theory understand that once you understand that you can you can then look at your past experience and go okay i can see how that makes sense now mm. 
Um, put yourself in experiences. Like I went to an immersive theatre thing a couple of weeks ago and it's completely out of my comfort zone. Mm. But it was brilliant. I put myself in that experience. And, and try and do it yourself. You know, if you're going to, if you're going, if you're going to design and shape these experiences, then go in to an experience with a different frame of mind. Don't go in there and enjoy that experience, but go in there and go, how was this experience, what they're going to give me, created? And look at it from a different angle. Um, and just don't look at L&D. Mm. I know it sounds really weird because we're in L&D, but everyone who's in L&D, most of the time, are doing the same thing. Yeah. So look at how, and it, like um, experiential marketeers, they've been doing not experience design but they've been creating they they do some good stuff like how they do pop-up shops mm. there's i'm not saying do that but you can look at it and go i see where we're going and just look at get inspiration from all different industries not l and d and then i think that's when you get kind of really savvy of what you can design that's probably yeah okay and of course people can also follow you um your work so yes. how can how can people do that and how can people get in touch yeah so most of my tweets are negative on, <laughs> on, on Twitter it's and it's it's like why are we talking about this why are we talking about that um, but if that's your thing mm-hmm. <laughs> on Twitter it's the Danny Seals I did want Danny Seals but someone took it so I had to put the in front of it. Um, and then on LinkedIn LinkedIn's mm-hmm. the best one um, I have a podcast as well Mindchimp Podcast um, which yourself has been on there yep. so I can't remember what episode but it's season one um, but yeah actually you know one of my biggest things personally is about sharing. If mm-hmm. I can share and help someone on their journey, then I should do that. That's, that's part of what I should do. So yeah, any questions, give me a shout. Brilliant. And we'll put some links in the show notes as well. Awesome. Danny, thank you very much for being a guest. It's been a, a wonderful conversation uh, and uh, I'm, I've certainly been inspired and I'm sure the listener is too. Awesome. Thanks for having me, David. Another great conversation. I must admit that experience design isn't something that I knew a great deal about. But after that conversation with Danny, I'm certainly going to be paying more attention to the experiences that that are created more consciously inside and outside of learning and development. And I hope that it inspires you to try experience design and perhaps take a look at the experiences of your people and think about how you might be more conscious about creating experiences that, that, that affect people's emotions. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or on Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.